You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Boy, is it especially green in Colorado this year? Amazing. We have gotten an epic amount of precipitation. I wonder if we're part of the Pacific Northwest now with climate change, huh? I don't know. We've received over 10 inches of rain so far this year, and that's four inches above normal. It, it's amazing. That explains a meme I saw where it had a scuba diver who was next to the welcome to colorful Colorado sign, huh? <laughs> We're literally, literally underwater, but hopefully your sump pump is doing its job in your basement. And uh, the drought-stricken West is, is just very excited about the amount of uh, uh, snowpack and precipitation that we received here in the Rockies, and we're very grateful for it. How, how much is fresh water worth? do you think? Uh, BBC Earth commissioned a survey they entitled Earth Index where they tried to make an educated guess on the monetary value of various natural resources. Here's their conclusions. They valued fresh water at over $73 trillion. Trees were valued at $16 trillion. Coral in the oceans was $9.9 trillion. Wild fish in the ocean was 224 billion. Plankton was valued at 222 billion. Bees and other pollinators were 170 billion. This one surprised me. Vultures were valued at 2.6 billion, which reminds me of, of a vulture joke. You behave yourself today, okay? Yeah, yeah. You gotta watch the quiet ones. Why did the vulture cross the road? Because the chicken didn't make it. <laughs> That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's a smart aleck over here with a little, ha, 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 you know, it's, that's a dad joke. And then they valued one beaver was valued at $120,000, but he was an especially busy beaver. So that's, yeah, thank you, Colleen. I appreciate that. That's the chemistry. She gets me. She's been in counseling for a long time. How do you put a monetary value on something that if we didn't have it, life would cease to exist? Which begs the question, what is most valuable in life? According to Dr. John D. Martini, what we value in life directly determines our behavior, our mindset, our attitudes, our life. So what is most valuable in life? Dr. Chris Gabbert, who's a professor at the University of North Florida, was an ardent follower of Dr. Peter Singer, a philosopher, and Singer's philosophy of life believes that some human beings should be allowed or even encouraged to die. Singer argues that society has a right to exclude people who are no longer persons. Gabbert, following in Singer's philosophical footsteps, believed that severely disabled people should either be killed or allowed to die. Then Gabbert's son, August, was born. During childbirth, August suffered a permanent brain damage, and so he was blind, a quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. 
Gabbert was stunned when he saw his newborn son, but in a way that it caught him off guard. Here's his own words. After August's birth, I was deeply ambivalent, having been persuaded by Singer's advocacy of infanticide. But there was my son asleep or unconscious on a ventilator, motionless under a heat light, tubes and wires everywhere, monitors alongside his steel and transparent plastic crib. What most stirred me was the way he resembled me. Nothing prepared me for this shock of recognition, for he was the boy in my own baby pictures, the image of me when I was an infant. That was the nexus of a deep paradigm shift within Dr. Gabbert's heart and mind, and today he's become an advocate for the inherent dignity of disabled, severely disabled human beings. He's come to the conviction of the value of every human being as being made in God's image. Psalm 49, the scripture that Gloria read to us this morning, answers the question, what is most valuable in life? There's three key words in Psalm 49, which are important to understand what God is trying to teach us. They are wealth, death, and ransomed. In Psalm 49 this morning, we will see the limits of wealth, the inevitability of death, and the incomparable worth of a ransomed soul. First of all, the limits of wealth. Psalm 49 begins by saying, Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. For all can see that wise men die, the foolish and senseless perish and leave their wealth to others. Do not be overawed when a person grows rich, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. A limitation of wealth is the inability to bribe death. No matter how much money we have, when death comes knocking, all the money in the world can't bribe death. The Johnson & Johnson family were made fabulously wealthy by selling things such as diapers and baby powder and, and uh, band-aids and those kinds of things, Johnson & Johnson. In Jerry Oppenmeyer's book, Crazy Rich, Power, Scandal, and Tragedy Inside the Johnson & Johnson Dynasty, he writes of the death of Robert Wood Johnson Jr., who had an estate in the hundreds of millions of dollars. But his last words to his nurse when he was 74 years of age was this, I have millions and I would get everything if I had someone who could make me well. Another limit of wealth is it can't buy eternal life. In Psalm 49, verses 8 and 9, it says, No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 12 about a rich man who was selfish and greedy, whose ultimate value in life was money. In Jesus' story, the man dies. The pivotal thought in the story happens in verse 20, and I quote, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get all the riches that you have stored up for yourself? Then Jesus explains his parable. This is how it'll be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The Bible is clear that wealth is deceptive. It promises us things that it can't deliver. Can all the wealth in the, in the world keep a child from addiction, for instance? And then wealth is dangerous. 
It is the sort of thing that, that tries to seduce us into worshiping it and living like a slave without balance in our lives in hopes that it will give us what we're looking for. The truth is wealth can give us happiness and it can give us highs, but can wealth uh, buy peace and love and joy overflowing and sustained in a heart or in a home? Psalm 49 is clear. Wealth is not what is most valuable in life. Timothy Keller wrote, Money cannot save you from tragedy or give you control in a chaotic world. Only God can do that. Then the psalmist turns his attention from the limits of wealth to the inevitability of death. In Psalm 49, 12, it says, But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. The Onion is a satirical website, and, and uh, headlines for The Onion include, New Poll Reveals Majority of Americans Approve of Sending Congress to Syria. <laughs> or here's another one, Dolphins Spend Amazing Vacation Swimming with Stockbroker. <laughs> but a headline which especially stood out to me was this, World Death Rate Holding Steady at 100%. We all eventually will pass away. When Colleen and I were raising our kids, we had a devotional book that we would periodically after dinner uh, once in a while would open up and, and have devotions with the kids. And one memorable devotional was about death. And that devotional asked, uh, when it comes time for you to die, what will be your last words? So our nine-year-old dominant firstborn, Daniel, said, uh, I had a good life playing in the NFL. And, and then our, our seven-year-old sweet middle child, Rebecca, said, I love Jesus and I love my family. We then looked at five-year-old Elizabeth, our youngest, and her last words, she did this. Ah! <laughs> I have a weird family. I have no idea where they came from. Just no, no, no idea at all. I guess when you're in kindergarten, death is a little overwhelming, huh? Hebrews 9.27 says this, Just as humans are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. The reality is death is inevitable. We all die. We all are accountable to God for our lives. For those who don't have a relationship with God, judgment can be a fearful expectation. But for those who have peace with God, judgment is a blessed day. As Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Death is a subject we tend to avoid. As someone once said, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. David Brooks wrote about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are skills or accomplishments that, uh, that a person brings to the marketplace, to their career. Eulogy virtues are the things that people say about someone that they're thankful for at their funeral. Resume virtues are about what we do, but eulogy virtues are about who we are. Psalm 49 is a clear message that if we have strong resume virtues resulting in wealth, but our, our eulogy virtues are impoverished, impoverished. We are then like the rich men that Jesus was talking about in a story in Luke 12. We are poor toward God. 
Jesus, on the other hand, counsels us to lay up treasures in heaven. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 tells us to set our hearts on things above, to set our minds on things above. It's counterintuitive that the more that we set our hearts and our minds on things above, we don't become so heavenly-minded, we're no earthly good. On the contrary, we maximize the earthly good of our lives, like Jesus follower William Wilberforce, who for 20 years toiled to have slavery outlawed in the British Empire. And this resulted in millions of African lives saved from the ravages of slavery. That's the power and the value of eulogy virtues. This past week I had breakfast down at the Cow in, in Morrison with a friend of mine who's very wealthy. He's just turned 80 years old. And over the hour that we were together, breaking bread and talking, he never mentioned business success or monetary wealth. He spoke about family and faith. My friend, even though wealthy, is more important wealthy in eulogy virtues. I've traveled with this friend on a mission trip to Ethiopia, and I've seen firsthand his humility and, uh, and his genuine love for people that result in extravagant generosity. And then this week I had lunch with another friend who in the past three months lost his wife to a blood disorder. Psalm 49 is just telling us the truth. Death is inevitable. Recently, Colleen has been going through boxes of, big boxes of pictures from the years, trying to cull through them what we're going to keep and digitize and all of that. God bless her for taking on that task. And there are pictures in there of her parents, David and Joy Foster, and of my parents, Wesley and, and Dorothy Jeffrey. And uh, in comparison to the average person, they all lived long lives. They all had uh, eulogy virtues that, that Colleen and I are deeply thankful for. But the reality is that they aren't here on earth. The reality is they're deeply missed. Like everyone else in history, they have passed away. And this brings us to the big idea in Psalm 49 this morning. What is most valuable in life in light of the limitations of wealth and the inevitability of death. It's the incomparable value of a ransomed soul. Verses 7 through 9. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live forever and not see decay. No amount of money can bribe death from going away or buying eternal life. Death won't take a platinum card or Amazon stock. No payment is ever enough that he should live forever and not see decay. I would guess that most of us here this morning have seen a retirement calculator. A retirement calculator helps us know how much we need to save and invest to support our chosen lifestyle for our retirement years. For instance, if a person is retiring at age 65, they expect to live to be about 90 years old. They can plug these things in to the retirement calculator and know how much they need to invest for retirement to maintain their lifestyle for that period of time, even factoring in for inflation. 
So maybe, for instance, the retirement calculator would come to the conclusion that a person needs to save $1 million and invest it for retirement. But what if there was an eternal calculator? That if a person dies at 90, and never mind lives forever, because that's too big of a concept for my brain anyway, so let's plug into the eternal calculator this morning that they live for a million years. How much would it take to support oneself for a million years? Obviously, you can't put a monetary value on that concept. Job said it very well when he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. We don't bring any possessions into this world when we're born, and we can't take any of them with us when we pass away. What we do have is our immortal soul. That's why Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live forever. The concept of ransom is, is kind of foreign to us in, in our culture, but not for many people living around the globe today or in generations past. A book I've enjoyed that was, that was really interesting was Brian Kilmeade's Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pirates. In President Jefferson's day, North African pirates would take over ships and they would take captive the people and hold them for ransom. Poor captives were uh, basically having to live out the rest of their days as slaves, but people that, that had wealth or were from wealthy families could be ransomed for large sums of money. The, the Bible says, Psalm 49 says, that our souls can't be ransomed by all the money in the world. Recently, I, I went to lunch with a, a young attorney. We had an invigorating conversation. And in the midst of the conversation, uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, came up. In The Great Divorce, it's, it's Lewis's fictional account of what heaven and hell will be like. And he envisions hell as being an endlessly uh, long, millions of miles across, turning into light years across, of a dreary city with empty streets. Because when people uh, move close to one another, devoid of all the, the, the goodness and the blessings of God, devoid of things like grace and forgiveness and, and love and joy and patience and kindness, and then, and then nothing to hinder the, the dark side of who we are, of, of slander and malice and and, and selfishness. With that, people were just so overwhelmed by how ugly it was to live near other people that they would move away. And so endlessly this city would grow. And Lewis is making a very important point here that our eternal soul is so important and that every good thing is found in God's presence. There is no life apart from God. If there was no creator God, we would not be here. This would not be here. Because every good thing comes from God, including life. So what is the actual cost for a ransomed soul that we may be blessed for all eternity? It can't be bought, first of all. 
All the money in the world can't buy eternal life. All the good works in a lifetime are not enough to ransom our souls from death and hell. Jesus' disciples were shocked when Jesus said, It is harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Jewish theology in Jesus' day taught that riches and wealth were rewards from God for a righteous life. So ergo, wealthy Jews were the most likely to earn their way to heaven. When Jesus said that even the best of us aren't eligible for heaven, what hope was there for a working stiff like me, his disciples concluded with alarm. And so they said to him, who then can be saved? And Jesus gave this answer, what is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, God is the only one who can ransom a soul from death and hell. The answer for a ransomed soul is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our souls are ransomed and we can live forever not by good works, but by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 55 through 57 says it this way, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the victory over death, and over sin, and over hell, and over Satan. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the conclusion of the matter in Psalm 49 is in verse 15, where it says, But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Yesterday afternoon, I spoke with my oldest brother, Dave, who lives in uh, Phoenix. And uh, next Sunday, he puts his wife into memory care. And he said that they had devotions together lately and it, it felt like the Lord was preparing her for this. But please pray for my sister-in-law, Rose. The last few years of life sometimes, from what I've observed, especially with my dad, can be a challenge. It can take all the gumption and courage and faith that we have. And hopefully that sensitizes us as the body of Christ to be sensitive to one another and to be sensitive to those that are facing that challenge and to be there and to love one another. But in the midst of that, in the midst of those few years like what Rose is facing, my sister-in-law, how wonderful it is the truth of what we've sung about this morning. Holy, holy is the Lord. And we will stand with him with ransomed bodies and eternal souls, blessed forever because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Alistair Begg has a wonderful clip on YouTube of a message that I recommend entitled, The Man on the Middle Cross where he asked, what was it like when the thief on the cross to whom Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, 
When that bad man stood at the pearly gates and they say, why should we let you into heaven? The man was a convicted criminal, probably. Biblical scholars believed what we would call a terrorist and a murderer. He had led a selfish life. He had been cursing out Jesus, the Gospels tell us, uh, with the other thief on the cross until finally he came to his senses and said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Pastor Begg says that the only answer the thief on the cross could give for why he should be let into heaven was the man on the middle cross said I could come. There is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. What did it cost to redeem your soul from death and hell? It cost the very blood and body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Clothed in immortal bodies like unto Christ's resurrected body. And every tear will be wiped from our eyes. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. That is the incomparable value of a ransomed soul.